You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On the fake, Rodgers lets it fly, has Watson, he's got it on his feet and he's in for the touchdown! That might be the biggest catch of this young receiver's career from Christian Watson. You can see him, it's just press man. They talk about his speed, his ability to get behind the defense. It's just a matter of can he catch it. That's a great job tracking the ball. He just took a big sigh of relief. Look at his buddies greeting him on the sideline, man. That's got to feel good. All right, what's up, guys? Welcome to Packers Total Access. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. If you'd like to email the show, you can send a message to Packers Total Access at gmail.com. And uh, we're going to dive right into the show. Before we do so, I want to mention that we now have a phone number that you can text. Uh, We've had several people reach out and say, hey, is there a number I can text you at? So we have that set up. Now, if you guys will write this number down, you can find it on my Twitter page as well. It's 865-658-5824. Once again, 865-658-5824. That's a way that you can communicate with the show. Um, There's probably not going to be a whole lot of back and forth texting on there. The goal is if you've got a comment, you've got a question for the show, you can just shoot shoot it over in a text form rather than email, and we can get back to you a little bit quicker as far as getting it implemented into the show and that type of thing. Now, that in no way, shape, or form do I want to negate what we're doing with the email because it's been great. It's been the perfect line of communication. I've just had a few people reach out and say, hey, man, I don't have access to my email. I haven't created an email, whatever it may be. Um, and they just want to text. That's totally cool too. So uh, obviously that line will be protected. They won't, you know, your that number, your number won't be given out to anyone. It'll just be that automated service to relay the text form to me, to my email, to my office, so we can um, kind of move forward and communicate with you guys. So with that being said, let's get into the show. And I'm really excited. We uh, we had an emailer um, send a message in. This comes from Andy. And um, Andy's a great dude. If you guys aren't following him on Twitter, uh, find him. I, I, I don't know his exact Twitter handle right offhand, um, but if you want to know that, shoot me a DM and I'll get it to you. Um, he's a great follow, man. Just one of those Packer fans that you can tell we don't agree um, on everything. We might actually disagree more than we agree. But he comes from a perspective where 
Um, and his approach is, it's very positive. It's, Hey man, yeah, I, I understand your perspective, but I disagree. Guys, that's, that's what it's all about, man. I've said it over and over and over. I've learned more as a Packer fan from people that I disagree with than those I agree with. And I know Twitter's become this echo chamber. I'm not going to get into that rant, but um, he's just one of those guys you definitely want to follow on Twitter. Really, really good dude. So it's a little bit long email, but I think it's worth reading. And we're going to kind of touch on it because as Aaron Rodgers comes out of his darkness retreat and he's about to make a decision and all that stuff, I think this is the perfect time for this type of email where we can kind of put things into perspective and just become better as a fan base. And he mentions it in this email about not telling people how to fan and, and that type of thing. And that's very important. But again, when, when the goal is someone just coming at another Packers fan from a perspective of you're stupid, how dare you? And, and, and rude responses, no one should even respond to those. You should block them and move on because there's no reason for insult. Right. And these people darn sure wouldn't say it to someone's face on the street, which is what irks me the most. But here's what Andy had to say. He said, hello, I heard your last your latest pod and you mentioned you like long form emails and mentioned you hate divide. That kind of sparked this email where I thought I'd share my thoughts. You can share any slash all of this on your pod or not. Uh, just know that I appreciate the content and hope you keep it coming. Also, go easy on any errors or structural errors. This was a draft. This is a one draft email. Ha ha. Yeah, dude, trust me. You ain't going to get no criticism from me. You, you guys know I'm, I'm high school educated in the state of Kentucky, which equates out to about a third grade level across the rest of the country. So you're not going to get any grammar police from me. I promise you that. So he says, quote, blitz. Rogers gets out, floats it. Cobb, touchdown. Randall Cobb. Another quote. Rogers in trouble. It's going to get there. It's going to get there. He turned 32 yesterday. Does he have a vintage moment in him? In the end zone, it is caught for the win. Talking about a Hail Mary. Another quote, Giants looking for a stop. They're going to air it out. Rodgers does this better than anybody. End zone, Cobb, touchdown, unbelievable. Rodgers surveying, fires. That's caught. Randall Cobb into Chicago territory. Randall Cobb inside the 20-yard line. Randall Cobb is going to score. I bet you remember uh, the exact play for each of those calls. Some of you might know down the down and distance. Some might even remember the underrated stars uh, of those plays. Thanks for the chop block, John Coon. I, I, I remember that like it was yesterday. Um, him throwing that chop block on Julius Peppers to beat the Bears there, that, that floater to Cobb. Um, regardless, each of these are examples of moments I won't soon forget. I choose them all because they involve a certain player, one that is seemingly dividing the fan base at the moment. Cobb. Randall Cobb is and will go down as Packers legend and the disrespected, the disrespect that we show. Just kidding. It's Rodgers. Um, see what you did there, Andy. Whether you want 12 back or not fighting within the same fan base is just odd. We're, are we not all Packer fans at the end of the day? If someone gives you a smile and a go pack go out there in the world, do you first stop them and ask, quote, do you want to move on from Rodgers or not before answering? <laughs> 12 wasn't perfect last year. But if you're expecting perfection, you're in the wrong game. If you want 12 back this year because you think he gives us the best chance, then great. If you want to move on because you think it's better for the future, then great. The success of the team is what matters here. I'm not saying you can't be critical because, of course, you can. I certainly was. But what I tried not to do was attack people with different opi opinions. At Apple, one of their values is, quote, assume positive intent. In fandom, it's easy to forget that we're all on the same team, so while someone is not agreeing with you, it's not because they want the team to be worse. They just think 
their ideas are what will make the team better, just like you think your ideas will make the team better. Remember that when we're talking Rodgers, Goop, Matt LaFleur, or anyone else in the Packers sphere, we all want the same thing, the Packers to bring us more memories and hopefully another championship. So when when talking things out, just remember that phrase, assume positive intent. Uh, you might be rolling your eyes thinking, wow, this guy's trying to tell me how to be a fan. Or you might think that I'm trying to show that I'm some, quote, superior fan. <clears throat> I'm just a guy standing in front of another guy. Never mind. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's no such thing as a right way to be a fan. So you do you. However, I do want to ask, if watching this team makes you miserable and fills you with rage, then why watch? Man, I'm telling you, Andy's picking my brain right here, bro. Seriously, if you're so unhappy with the team that you that you constantly want to argue and fight with fans who at the end of the day want the same exact thing as you, then why go through it every year? For me, sports brings, brings me entertainment. Let me talk to and meet new people. Let me nerd out with the numbers and give me lasting memories. Each season brings some level of greatness and new memories, and while losing hurts, I don't want it to consume me. I, I'm sorry, I don't let it consume me. And for those who think only championships are important, let me point you back to the quotes at the beginning of this email. I'd imagine all of those were happy memories for you, but none of them came from championship seasons. Winning a Super Bowl is difficult. Just look at the Vikings, Lions, and Bears. The fact that we've contended this long is, in, is already an incredible accomplishment. Not having more than one Super Bowl with Rodgers won't take away all the joy this team has brought me over the years and shouldn't let it take yours. Um, I haven't said where I land on Rogers, the Rodgers train because I didn't want it to cloud the points. Now that we're at the end, I can say I'm ready to move on. I am ready because moving on from 12, in my opinion, is what's best for the Green Bay Packers. Nothing more or less. I want the team to be good after 12 has laced them up, and I think moving on will give us the best chance at that. As a wise man once said, quote, if you don't like change, you're going to like irrelevance even less. Go, Pat, go. Thanks, Andy. Andy, great email, bro. Um, and I love how you use my line against me. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> so, you know, he hit the nail on the head, gang. It, it's so important to understand, like, why do you watch football? Why are you tuned in on – not just Sunday, but I don't know about you guys, but when I get in on a work day, if I'm in town and I'm not out of, out of town on business – Man, the first thing I do when I throw my bags down is I kiss my wife, I pet the dog, and I put it on NFL Network and go, what's going on around the league? I go to YouTube and I comb through, you know, Packers, uh, the Packers YouTube page. I might comb through the Pat McAfee page. I might go to Cheesehead TV. I might go to, you know, all these people that you follow, you listen to, you have for years for the content, for the Packer content. But, you know, some of my favorite moments weren't in the Super Bowl. They weren't a part of that championship season, right? You know, the one that comes to mind, is, is Donald Driver's catch and run against the 49ers at Lambeau where he broke like eight tackles, right? I can see it. I can see the guy on his back and 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 Driver just throwing him off and, and taking it into the end zone, carrying two other defenders in the end zone. That had nothing to do with the championship, right? That wasn't a championship. It might have been the championship season. As a matter of fact, it might have been. But that was during the regular season, one of my favorite all-time Packer plays. You know, another one is, you know, like all the, all the Aaron Rodgers Hail Marys, right? We forget about those. I know he's not clutch, right? It's through chucking a ball up what seems to be 60 yards vertically in the air to land perfectly on a dime into Richard Rodgers' hands or, or Randall Cobb's hands or Jeff Janis's hands, right? Uh, you know, all these Hail Marys, all these huge plays, right, from Aaron Rodgers. Those weren't part of the championship seasons. Some of my most favorite moments. 
you know, Rodgers throw to Cook in Dallas along the sideline. You know, isn't it funny? Rodgers drew that pay, play up in the dirt in the huddle and and had the the offensive line kick back in a very unique way to give him room to roll left because he knew the defense didn't want him rolling right. But Aaron having that arm strength, that accuracy, all that arm talent, being able to throw across his body on a dime to Cook on the sideline with like one or two seconds left, however much time it was, to set up a Mason Crosby game-winning field goal there in the playoffs. One of my most favorite moments as a Packer fan. Had nothing to do with the Super Bowl, right? Um, Cobb's first kickoff return for a touchdown. That's another one that comes to mind, Andy. You know, him catching that kickoff, what was it, seven, eight yards deep? Knowing darn well he's not supposed to bring it out. He comes out, gets blasted within. I think he was inside the 20-yard line when he gets hit. John Kuhn literally picks him up, holds him in the air so he doesn't go down, puts him back on his feet and said, there you go, little fella. Take it for six. One of my favorite moments, you know. And, of course, B.J. Raji's pick six against Chicago in the playoffs. All these things. They had nothing to do with the Super Bowl, right, the, you know, the, the actual game itself. But we get so caught up in if we don't win a championship, oh, the window's closed, turn the page, blah, 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 right? It drives me insane. I don't understand the misery either, Andy. I don't. Like, I watch football because, to me, it's one of the most unifying sports in the history of mankind, right? To me, it's the closest thing to a wartime event. And I'm not trying to compare someone laying their life on the line for their country, for their fellow American, for their family, to provide freedom for the rest of the world. I'm not, I'm not trying to suggest that it's the same. It's on the, but the fact that when you're put in a situation where, Hey, we've got 50, 60, 70 yards to go down the field. I think of the Bart star drive uh, in the ice bowl, right? The last drive there where Jerry Kramer said they looked in each other's eyes and they knew we got this. This is, it's all down to this, and, and we're prepared for this moment. And all of those Lombardi practices, all of those times in the past where it was, you know, I need just a little bit more. Dig down deep and find just a little bit more. Like Jerry Kramer said in America's game, we dug down and we found a little bit of Lombardi in us, right? All of those moments is is what makes football so special. Aaron said it. You know, it's amazing. He's he's selfish. He only cares about it, cares about MVPs. He only cares about money. He only cares about hippie-ish stuff and all this. And, and Pat McAfee asked him on the show, you know, why do you love football? And he felt like it was the only sport where all 11 guys have to be in unison to a T to be successful. And it's the perfect team sport. And that's why he's got this romance with football. He absolutely loves it, you know. So I don't understand why be miserable, man. Why? Why do that to yourself? And like Andy said, we're not telling you how to fan, right? Me and Andy disagree on the Aaron Rodgers thing. That's what's so cool. But we both love the Packers, and we're both focused on what's best for the Green Bay Packers, right? And, you know, just find the positive in everything, man. There's – if you're going to invest all this time into a sport just to be miserable, you know, there's some people – I won't mention any specific names – every time they call in – Every time they email, every time they text, every time they post anything on social media, it's doom and gloom, negative, negative, negative. And then get mad and call out people for being positive, for trying to look at the bright side, for trying to see the light at the end of the tunnel. What is the organization trying to do here? Oh, man, if this works out, this could, yeah, okay, don't get your hopes up on that. You're miserable, dude. You're like Eeyore, walking around with your damn tail falling off every two seconds. Like, chill out, relax. Enjoy the ride. We're all here just a limited amount of time, right? What you should be asking yourself is how can I make my fellow Packer fam have a little bit better day? How can I encourage someone? 
You know, when someone insults me on Twitter before I block them, one of the things I like to do is click on their Twitter page and just scroll down at their posts. And I go, negative, 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 negative. Yep, sorry, man. Don't need you in my life. Blocked. Move on. Because all they're trying to do is tear other people down. And it's pointless. Life's too short, man. You know, we're no matter what faith you believe in, whether you're, I don't care if you're an atheist, I don't care if, if you're a Christian like me, you know, our, our commands, our instructions were to love others as I have loved you. Now, let's say you're an atheist. Let me give you, let me give you probably your perspective on life or another way of looking at it. You know, from a Christian faith, it's, you know, whatsoever you sow, you shall also reap, right? In an atheist mind, it's what goes around comes around. Guys, those are laws that are sown into the earth no matter what your faith is, right? And uh, just giving people room to grow, but also let's build people up and not tear them down. If somebody's tearing you down, get them out of your freaking life. It's that simple. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with with wanting to move on from 12, Andy. And, and my big thing is I personally want the best possible at every single position on that football field, dude. So – you know, and, and when you break it down into tiers like I do, tier one, quarterback, left tackle, and edge. Those are the most important, three most important positions on a football field, right? Outside of the head coach, the organization, schematically, culture, all of those things, the three top tier positions, quarterback, left tackle, and edge. My top priority is I want the most talented players at those three positions. That's the foundation for your football team to be successful. When you look at the teams that did good this year, they had a good foundation in those spots, right? You basically had two MVP candidates going at it in the Super Bowl, right? Quarterback is that top-tier spot. Left tackle, both of them had, uh, you know, fairly solid left tackles. I know the Eagles had a, a great left tackle. I'm not sure about the Chiefs, but you've got to be able to protect that quarterback. Now, Mahomes, a lot like Rodgers in his younger days when they didn't have a great offensive line, being able to move in the pocket, make things happen, that can really uh, drive down the, the value of that left tackle position when you've got a quarterback that can create separation in the pocket to make the throw. I'm not talking about scrambling downfield. The great quarterbacks that are quote-unquote mobile, they know how to navigate the pocket and create space and windows, throwing windows to get the ball down the field. Uh, Patrick Mahomes does that great. But again, those three positions, quarterback, left tackle, and edge. Second tier, center, wide receiver, defensive tackle, middle linebacker, and free safety. Once you get those first three top-tier positions locked up, bang. All right, that there's the foundation for your team. Move on to Tier 2. Get those solid. And then everything else, I want that to be as good as possible. So, Andy, if you're telling me that you know Jordan Love is better than Aaron Rodgers, bro, trade him for nothing. Cut him. Just cut him. Like, if we're, if we're improving at the quarterback position by starting Jordan Love over Aaron Rodgers – and he is the better quarterback, I am all on board. I personally do not believe that, right? That's not to say I'm right and you're wrong. That's where we part ways on our opinion, and it's totally cool. Here's what's awesome. If Aaron Rodgers does retire uh, this year or he gets traded, whatever the outcome is, right, um, I personally, my updated numbers, it's funny, it's it's went back and forth all year long, and now it's got to the point where I'm kind of right where I ended at, which I personally believe that it's about 60% that Aaron Rodgers comes back, right, uh, as a Packer. It's about 30% he retires, and there's about a 10% chance he gets traded. I think all three are still on the table. That's kind of where I'm at there personally. But 
if he doesn't return as a Packer, is the second he's off this roster, whether it's retired, traded, or whatever, you're going to see me get behind Jordan Love so quick it ain't even funny. I'm already behind him. I was excited about the Jordan Love draft pick. Guys, I was over the moon about it. I watched Twitter blow up, and people were like, this is stupid. Can't believe they would draft this guy. You're wasting Aaron Rodgers' uh, you know, his MVP or whatever, his, his, his top-performing years. Uh, they should just trade Rodgers because this organization doesn't deserve him, blah, 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 blah. Right? You know what my response was? I got so excited because it's this means that Brian Gutekunst and his staff thinks that Jordan Love is at least a second-tier talent at the quarterback position. Okay, because it was nowhere near a need, right? And he fell to them to the point where they could trade up. When they traded up, that told me, okay, they don't think he's going to be there for a current tier talent. You guys know we talk all the time about Greg Cosell's comment about how there's two separate drafts every April. There is an NFL draft and there's a quarterback draft. And what he means by that is quarterbacks are viewed way more valuable than every other position on the field. Meaning, if you've got a quarterback, that's a tier lower than the current tier that you're in. You're willing to draft them in that that tier that you're currently in because they carry that much value. Now, I'm not sitting here suggesting that teams modify their boards to go ahead and jump them up a tier. I, me personally, I think it would be more uh, more organized and easier to read the board if you left them in their actual tier. But take when you when you go to make your draft pick, you take consideration. That's a quarterback right there, one tier down. We've got to treat him as if he's a current tier talent, right? Meaning top tier on the board. And we're going to get into some draft talk here in a minute. But that tells me that the fact that they traded up a few picks to get Jordan Love, that he was a current tier talent. Guys, that's that excited me when they drafted him. I looked at it now like one of my biggest fears as a Packer fan every single year was if Aaron Rodgers gets hurt, our season's screwed. When they drafted Jordan Love, I immediately thought, if Aaron Rodgers goes down with an injury, and I'm not wishing that on 12 at all, we're, the storyline now becomes, man, we get to see what this first-round prospect at quarterback can do thrown into the fire in the middle of the of the heat, right? And you've got you've to step out there and perform for your team and, and see how – guys, that's how legends are born. That's how another quarterback in Green Bay history was born in the 90s, right? What happened? Don Mikowski goes down. They put in this raw quarterback. He comes in and he's as coach uh, – uh, Mike Holmgren said he's all over the joint. He had no clue what he was doing. And then at the very end of the game, what did he do? Went out there and gunsling and was gunslinging and put together a beautiful drive and threw that pass to, I think it was Kendrick Taylor, if I remember correctly, was the name of the player. And the rest is history. All because the starting QB went down and this former first round pick, or actually former second round pick, if I remember correctly, that Ron Wolf traded a first-round pick for, steps in and assumes the role and takes over. When we drafted Jordan Love, that's how I looked at that pick. That storyline is sitting there waiting for a worst-possible-case worst scenario, right? If Aaron Rodgers gets hurt, then there's still excitement around the Green Bay Packers that we get to see what this young phenom can do. Um, so I didn't understand the whole, oh, God, I can't believe it. And you got these extreme camps that we always talked about. Like last pod, we talked about extreme comparisons. And Andy hit the nail on the head. Andy, thank you so much, man. Listeners, thank you for uh, you know taking the time to listen to me read that. I hate reading anything in front of a group, in front of a, <clears throat> an audience. I've spoken in front of 5,000 business owners before, and it sucked. They said I crushed it. 
But I'm telling you, it was just like, man, I hate reading in front of people. I hate speaking in front of people. So um, to read that email, thank you guys for being patient with the stuttering and all that that comes along with me. But very well written, Andy. And I'm completely on board with your attitude towards the Green Bay Packers. Like I said, man, if they move forward with Jordan Love, I'm right there with you. And we're going to be rooting on Jordan Love through the ups, the downs, everything, and uh, try to get this team back to a championship. So let's do this. Let's move on to the next segment. Um, Guys, it's draft season, if you guys aren't aware, um, and it's exciting. This is one of the best times of the year. Um, I tried to hold off on my draft talk. I know a lot of people have already been breaking down prospects on podcasts, and that's totally cool. I've been listening to it. It's been great content. I promise myself not until you get beyond the Super Bowl right? And you get to the point where contracts are starting to get restructured and you can kind of see where uh, players are going to begin to uh, to get cut, traded, whatever, to free up cap room. You're going to get uh, contracts renegotiation re, uh, restructured to a cent where you know they're not a part of the immediate future. Now we can start talking draft, right? So here's what I'm going to do with this exercise. There's a lot of mock drafts floating around. <clears throat> I didn't want to bore you guys with a mock draft, okay? What I wanted to do was come with a different approach. I'm one of these guys that kind of uh, feels like um, think kind of I don't want to say think worst case scenario, but when I'm looking at potential draft picks for the Green Bay Packers, I don't go. Here's my dream pick. Here's my dream pick. Here's my dream pick. This guy's the top of the board. None of that matters. What matters is what does the Green Bay Packers draft board look like? None of us know that. We don't have any insight in that. Now, we've got some some RAS scores and some guidelines that they seem to kind of draft within. You know, Ross Uglum was on with uh, Aaron Negler the other day. Great, great episode. If you haven't checked it out, go to uh, Cheesehead TV's uh, YouTube page. Just them having a conversation and Ross really diving into the draft. You know, Nags doesn't cover the draft much. He said he depends on people like Ross. He just, you know, defers to them. He get the information. And he, he talked about how he feels like there's probably going to be about 90, if I understood correctly, prospects that fall within the guidelines of the RAS score, which is relative athletic score, more or less the raw talent and abilities, the combine numbers, the 40-yard dashes, the cone, the shuttle, or the vertical jump, all those things, they they tend to pick from a smaller pool once those RAS scores are out. Now, I'm not suggesting that the Green Bay Packers front office uses a specific RAS scores, but it all comes down to those raw talent and abilities, right? So um, if you what's great about this time of the year, and this is why I like to create my draft board early on, I like to use the consensus big board as kind of a starting point before all of the RAS stuff comes out. Why? Because all of that board is strictly based off of the tape. They're, they're, they have nothing else to go off of. Yes, you know what their 40 time was here most recently, whether they ran it in college for some reason or they ran it coming out of high school. And you can kind of tell this guy's definitely a speed demon. This guy's uh, quick twitch. This guy's strong. This guy's stout. This guy's, you know, fast off the ball. All those things, of course. But for the most part, that list is compiled of all of those different media members and how these players performed on the field. So I take that. You've got all of the PFF grades right, in the PFF rankings for the draft, I take that. And then I couple in some people that I truly trust. I'm not going to mention those names, but it's it's people that do a lot of draft talk, a lot of draft coverage. For me, what's most important, these people have been in the facilities, a part of organizations. That's the number one checkoff for me. I want someone who's been an NFL scout. I want someone who's been in the NFL draft room telling me what they think about prospects. So it's like you've got these senior draft advisors who have been in the mix. I'm not talking about – I'm not going to insult anybody, but I'm not going to talk about these mainstream media guys 
that have never stepped foot in a facility and they're just looking at, you know, what they think is a good prospect. No, no, no. I want people who's got some pelts on the wall, right? I want people who have been there and done that. You know, Michael Lombardi, whether you hate him or not, uh, because of his brashness, he talks about it all the time. You know, one of the people is Scott Pioli. He talks about it. He's like, isn't it amazing? They've got all of these experts on all these networks. And here you got Scott Pioli who have has ran draft rooms multiple times, who's been around football his entire life, been in professional football, um, been around one of the greatest minds and his father-in-law, Bill Parcells, uh, worked and studied underneath uh, Bill Belichick, all of these things, right? And they don't choose to put him at the forefront of their draft coverage. Why? Maybe it's because he don't have a hot take and it's not going to draw a lot of clicks, but you're probably going to get a lot of accurate information from him. Now, my draft board isn't comprised of anything that Scott Pioli did. To the best of my knowledge, I haven't found anything that he's got out there draft-wise. I'm just using that as a as kind of a reference, right? That's the stuff that I put a lot of stock in. So what I've done is we're going to take the prospects. We're going to assume that my draft board that I've compiled all, all, all the way to this point, which I wanted to get all that into the base before the RAS has come out, and then I will adjust accordingly when it comes to the RAS. To me, the combine numbers, the pro day numbers, the RAS, what it does is it confirms what you see on the field. Some people think, okay, I don't care what you did on the field. I want to know what your measurables are, then I'll look at what you did on the field. I do it backwards. I want to know what you did on the field, and then does the RAS score, does the athletic ability confirm what I've seen on tape? That's kind of how I like to look at it. All right, so when it comes to that, we're going to take – we're going to eliminate – since the Packers are picking 15th, we're going to eliminate the top 14 prospects from my draft board, and we're going to talk about the next roughly nine or ten prospects – that should be available if my board falls into place. And I got to say, guys, last year my board was really accurate. Um, one of the guys that I stood on the table for and pounded for was Kyle Hamilton. He ended up being the best safety in the league, according to PFF. A lot of people were turned off by him. Why? And this is one of the one of the perfect examples of what I'm talking about. Why were they turned off by um, by Kyle Hamilton? Because of that wonky 40-yard dash he ran. This guy was projected to be a top three pick all year long, and he runs a, a – a funky 40-yard dash, and what happens? He drops all the way to 14th, and he ended up being the best safety in the league last year, according to PFF, if I remember correctly. So that's why it's important to get this information into the database early. And then when that happens, if if I have – you know, let's say that uh, Carter, right? I believe his name is Jalen Carter. Let me pull it up here. Uh, my top prospect is Jalen Carter out of Georgia, Okay. And his score on my board is a 1.6. You're going, why, what how, What kind of scoring system do you use? Don't even worry about it. There's not enough time in the day for me to explain it, but it works for me. The lower the number, the higher the prospect. Okay, that's the way I look at it. It gives me a direct reflection of where I think they're worthy of a draft pick at. Okay, so with that being said, Jalen Carter, he's my top prospect. Just barely over Will Anderson. Let's say Jalen Carter comes out and has a horrible RAS. Guess what I'm going to do? He's going to be penalized, but not near as much as what he might be on the uh, the uh, consensus big board. You know, if he came out and did the equivalent to what Kyle Hamilton did next last year, and they drop him down on the consensus big board to say 15, right? And then I use that base consensus board, consensus big board, as my basis for all my draft information after he's been penalized. Then guess what? It's more it, you're leaning more on the 40-yard dash, the the uh, athletic score, than you are the tape. The tape is what's most important to me, just like Greg Cosell talks about. He said, I don't worry about measurables. 
I strictly base my information off of what do I see on the tape. So that's how I look at it. That's just kind of give you an example of, of how that's going to work, how it's going to operate. So with that being said, the Packers are picking 15th. Let's assume my board falls perfectly into place. It will not happen. It was close last year, but it will not happen. Okay, it never has happened. It never will happen. But the goal is to get a little bit better every year, every draft season. So the top prospect on my board is Joey Porter Jr. at cornerback. Okay, number 16 is safety, Brian Branch. Um, number 17 is offensive tackle, Broderick Jones. Number 18 is wide receiver, Quentin Johnston. Number 19 is edge defender, Lucas Van Ness. Number 20 is Titan or tight end, Dalton Kincaid. Some of you guys are going, whoa, you got Dalton Kincaid over Mayer? Not necessarily, and I'll explain it here in a second. Because I've got Dalton King. I'll do it right now, as a matter of fact. i got Dalton Kincaid. Um, coming in at the 20 spot on my board out of Utah, his grade is a 22, okay? Michael Mayer is uh, in the 22 spot at a 24 grade, so he's two points lower, right? But that puts them in the same tier. I'll explain it in a second. But again, Dalton Kincaid at number 20, wide receiver, Jackson Smith, Nijba. I hope I'm saying that name right. I'm trying to uh, learn these names as, as quick as possible this draft season. I don't want to screw anyone's uh, name up at all, but we'll, we'll do the best we can. Number 22, tight end, Michael Mayer. Number 23, edge defender, Nolan Smith. Number 24, defensive line, Brian Breesey. Understand, my board is not complete yet, okay? There's going to be – these players are going to shuffle around a little bit once we do get the athletic scores in and once I do get some more information from Greg Cosell and several other people that I take very, very serious. So, with that being said, let's go through it. I've got three different tiers represented here in these nine prospects, okay, in the top tier, which is actually tier four on my board. So there are three other tiers of players above these guys, and we're assuming that all of those players have been drafted, and the, the best prospect available that's going to come in is going to be Joey Porter Jr., who is actually going to come in at a uh, 16 grade. Then you got Brian Branch at 17. You got Broderick Jones with a 17.3. You got Quentin Johnson at an 18.3. And you got Lucas Van Ness at a 19.6. Okay. Those are all in tier four. Then in tier five, you got Dalton Kincaid, Jackson Smith Nijba, um, Michael Mayer. And then tier six, you've got edge defender Nolan Smith and defensive line Brian Breesey. Okay. So there's your tiers, right? You break it down. What's the next most important thing? The 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 position tier. I'm building a roster. You guys heard me talk about it when I was reading uh, Andy's email earlier, okay? First tier, quarterback, left tackle, and edge. Second tier, center, wide receiver, defensive tackle, middle linebacker, and free safety. So when we do those, we're going to do them in three-star uh, sequences, okay? Cornerback Joey Porter is just a one-star as far as position tier, okay? Brian Branch at safety is a two-star, in my opinion. At offensive tackle, Bro Derek Jones is a three-star. You guys know. Why do I say three-star? It's a top-tier position when building a football team, okay? Wide receiver Quentin Johnson is a two-star. That's a second-tier player. Guys, mentioned, I, or remember I mentioned center and wide receiver on the offensive side of the ball is in that second-tier of positions. And then, you know, tier three is everyone else, okay? So these are marked with stars, three stars being the best, two stars being the second best, and then one star being just the rest of the roster. Edge defender Lucas Van Ness, a three-star. So out of that top tier of players, you've got two three-star tiers and two two-star tiers. So let's eliminate Joey Porter from the list. If all of these players, if these five players are available, 
I do not want to draft Joey Porter. doesn't mean he's going to be a bad player. The numbers suggest he's going to be a great prospect. But look at the money we have tied up in corner. I wouldn't consider cornerback a position of need, would you? You, you were hoping Eric Stokes still pans out. It's looking like he, he's probably not going to, but I feel really good about Jair Alexander and Rasul Douglas on the boundary. If you put Savage in the slot, that's great. But now what you've got to do is look at positions of need. Cornerback is not a position of need. Exit off. So not only is he a tier three position in Joey Porter, but it's also not a need on the field. That, that doesn't check the box either, right? So we go to Brian Branch. Two-star, that is a position of need, a great position of need, right? We are very, very thin at safety right now. Bro Derrick Jones at offensive tackle, I consider that a position of need. Why? I want Zach Tom to pan out at right tackle. If the organization thinks that Zach Tom is the right tackle of the future, then absolutely plug him in there and don't worry about drafting a tackle early, right? Only the organization knows how much better they think these prospects are going to grade out at the offensive tackle position than a Zach Tom, right? And again, you're sitting there going, well, left tackle is covered with David Bakhtiari. Absolutely it is. But David Bakhtiari is year to year now. You need a player ready to step into that left tackle position, which is a top-tier position. It's absolutely – it's huge. It's, it's so important it's not even funny, okay? Um, next is wide receiver Quentin Johnson. That's a two-tier that is a position of need, in my opinion. We need a number one receiver. I'm not convinced that Christian Watson is a number one receiver. He showed some flashes like he darn, darn well uh, could be, right? And let's hope that that continues to get better as time goes on. But again, what we learned last year is all of these teams that went on these deep runs, what did they have, guys? They had a solid number one receiver and in some cases had two number one receivers. I think of Miami, right? I think of Philadelphia with uh, – with A.J. Brown, and then, of course, uh, the uh, the young guy, Devonta, I think it's Devonta Smith, if I remember correctly, is his name, the uh, the young receiver they drafted, I believe, last year or the year before. Um, you know, in Kansas City, they, they've got, you know, Kelsey at tight end, but we all know he's going to get the majority of the targets. That's that number one target guy, right? And uh, we've seen what they can do with Tariq Hill on the outside. In Miami, of course, we talk about Tariq Hill and Jalen Waddle, on and on and on and on, right? So it's so important to have a number one receiver. But, again, I feel like that is a second-tier, uh, second fiddle to quarterback, left tackle, and edge, all right? Um, and then, of course, the last one in that top tier is edge defender Lucas Van Ness. Just like I said, it's the only top tier position, in my opinion, on the defensive side of the ball. So that should get the check mark there as well. So you've got four that check out from position of need. Safety Brian Branch, offensive tackle bro Derek Jones, wide receiver Quentin Johnson, and edge defender Lucas Van Ness, right? Those are the ones that cross. Now, when you go down to the next, the next stage in this evaluation, what you're going is, okay, who would be my picks? Who would my, be my picks in this situation? And it's tough. It's so tough because you've got all of these guys, in my opinion, are the same quality player as the board sits right now. That's going to change a little bit. It's going to get shuffled around. But as it sits right now, I have all of these players. As, consider them, if you're playing Madden or you're trying to do a numerical system, they're all going to have the same overall value, all four of these players. So throw that out the window. Now what does it become? position of need, and these tiers in which a player should be taken. If we didn't have the safety need right now, guys, my pick would be Broderick Jones, the way the board sits right now, because that's a three-star tier position, a top-tier position, right, at left tackle slash right tackle that he's going to move into that future left tackle row. Um, and that would be my first pick there. It checks everything across the box. 
My next pick would probably have to be edge defender Lucas Van Ness. Why? That's a top-tier talent, right? This is assuming that we didn't have any other glaring needs. But again, these players grade out so similar, I would consider them the same quality prospects. So there's where the decision needs to be made. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. My first choice, personally, would be to try to trade back two or three picks. Now, that's easier said than done. Most of the time, the trades from all the books I've read, the audio books I've listened to, everyone I've studied, it sounds like draft day trades don't just happen last second. The structure's in place where people let other teams know, hey, would you be willing to trade with us if we wanted to get back to this spot if the board falls this way? And they go, yeah, yeah, we'd be willing to entertain. Okay, what would you take for it? Okay, our offer would be this. We want to give you the 15th pick for the 18th pick. What would you give us to climb up there? Uh, we give you a third this year. And you've got to decide, is it worth it or negotiate? But at the end of that conversation, now what goes into the database, now what goes into the GM's notes is, okay, I don't even know who's picking 18th. Let's say it's Baltimore. It's probably not. I, I, it's definitely not. Let's let's say it's Baltimore, though. Then you agree to have a trade put in place with Baltimore that, hey, look, if you guys don't have a prospect you're crazy about, right, or you do have a prospect you're crazy about in the current top tier of players available, and we want to trade back, would you be willing to take the 15th pick, give us the 18th pick, and an additional third-round pick? If the answer is yes, when you get to that point, one or two picks ahead, you give them a call, you get them on the phone, and you say, hey, look, we're looking to trade back, man. Is that is that offer still good to you? All right, cool. Be ready to pull the trigger. And then when you get to it, it's a yes or no with that final phone call on draft day. Hey, we're ready to trade back. Are you good with that? We'll give you we'll give you 15. You give us 18 and a third. All right, cool. Call it in. Call in the car. Bang. Baltimore Ravens are on the clock. You slid back and you pick up a third-round pick. Now, why would you do that? You have four prospects on this board that are equal, right? Now, if you're willing to do that, you've got to be willing to lose Brian Branch, right? So that's where the tough decision comes in. That's why – it, when you when you talk about the NFL draft and the stresses that go with it, I personally like the movie Draft Day, and I, I know a lot of people think it's cheesy, and it is very, very extreme storyline. Only Hollywood can screw something as good as the NFL up that bad. I get it. But it kind of goes into the the uh, the draft day 
haggling, if you will, and laying out all of these different scenarios of how the draft could play out, right? And I just like that little bit of behind-the-scenes look, even though it may be an extreme you know, movie. I get it. I completely understand. There's times I roll my eyes during it too. But I just wish somebody put an even better one out, to be honest with you. Um, so the two questions that I come up with here, guys, is the way the board sits right now. You guys know I've been pounding the table for Michael Mayer, right? Not saying he's my favorite prospect, but I'm simply saying if – if the tight end position is a current top-tier talent, don't treat tight end like, oh, let's just get it later. If you can get a player that you think might be the next Gronk, the next Kelsey, the next Tony Gonzalez, insert you know Antonio Gates, anyone, right? <clears throat> if you think they're that good, that means they're a current top-tier. I mean, it don't get any better than those guys. They're all Hall of Famers, right? So if that's the case, and let's say that – let's say Brian Branch wasn't in that top tier and you had uh, Dalton Kincaid at tight end in that top tier right, then I'd be looking at it the same exact way. But the reason I think you could probably trade back, or at least it's an option, there's really two options here, either trade back or take Brian Branch, in my opinion. That's where I'm at with the way the board sits right now here in the middle of February, and I know we're nowhere near the draft yet. This is going to get shuffled and changed. I can't say that enough, guys. I don't want you guys to think I'm making a prediction here. I'm just saying this is how draft season comes upon us, right? This is how everything, all the information is is uh, is put in the database, and then when you come out on the other side, you've got a better understanding, all right, here's the direction we want to go in. So if, uh, if these people are available, it's two options. Trade back, try to trade back into that 18, 19 range. Why do you do that? Because if you trade back to 18, three more players are taken. You've still got two people in your top tier of talent that you can draft. Let's say you did trade back with Baltimore, and Baltimore took Joey Porter Jr., right? Because say they had a needed corner. And the next, uh, the 19th pick, or I'm sorry, the uh, the 16th pick took Bro Derek Jones. And then the 17th pick took Quentin Johnston. And Brian Branch is there, right? at 18 that you traded back to, you picked up an extra third-round pick and you still got the guy who's going to start at safety for you day one, right, week one. That's pretty exciting. Now, let's say you did trade, you traded back and Brian Branch got taken, right, and the only players that are left are Quentin Johnston and Lucas Van Ness, right? Now you're down to the decision of top-tier edge or second-tier wide receiver, right? Both players are top-tier talents, but we're talking about importance of positions. Um, that's where the guessing game kind of comes in. So my scenarios personally would be draft Brian Branch or try to trade back two or three picks to pick up an extra pick and make that decision a little easier for you because your scouts have determined, your final evaluation has determined that these top-tier players are all equally as good. Now you've got to really, really consider what are you doing with the safety position, right? That's very, very, very important. Because they may still bring Adrian Amos back, right? Now, Adrian Amos, in my opinion, had a bad year last year. Doesn't mean he can't rebound. But he's already, for uh, voidable money, voided contract this year. He's on the cap, on the books this year against the cap for over $7 million, right? So if you bring him back at the suggested market value of $6 million, right, you've now got $13 million tied up in one year for Adrian Amos. Now look at his PFF grade. Now go back and watch the tape and go, is he worth $13 million? No, nope, he's not. Got it. Then, then you move on to something else, right? So those are the two options that I've come up with the way the board sits right now. And I wanted to walk through that exercise just to kind of give you guys an idea of where my board currently is and to kind of see how everything unfolds. 
I want to list these prospects one more time because I feel like the way the board sits right now, these are the ones that have the greatest chance of being drafted by the Green Bay Packers at number 15. Cornerback Joey Porter, highly unlikely, but he's in that tier of talent. I wouldn't put it past a look. Brian Gutekunst is shaking it up so many times already since being GM. I mean, drafting Jordan Love, nobody expected that. Drafting an off-the-ball linebacker last year in Quay Walker, nobody expected that, right? He's been very, you know, hard to figure out here lately. So don't be surprised if he were to take a Joey Porter. Be like, okay, that means he thinks that he probably thinks that guy's an even higher tier talent than what I've got on my board right now. And it doesn't matter what Clayton, the redneck from Tennessee, what his evaluation is and what his board looks like. All that matters is what the organization sees on their board at 1265 Lombardi Avenue, right? So I don't want you to get the misconception that or misunderstanding that I'm sitting here trying to pretend like I understand evaluating players more than they do. It's not the case at all. I wanted to kind of give you a game or a draft day atmosphere feeling of how the board lays out, how trades unfold, all of those things, right? Um, so, again, cornerback Joey Porter, safety Brian Branch, offensive tackle Broderick Jones, uh, wide receiver Quentin Johnston, and edge defender Lucas Van Ness are my top possibilities for the Packers. That may get shuffled around in the next tier, tight end Dalton Kincaid, wide receiver Jackson Smith-Nijba, and tight end Michael Mayer. If the Packers are absolutely in love with both of those tight ends like my board suggests, maybe they trade back to 20, and they're prepared to climb back up a pick or two if one of the tight ends come off the board. If they trade back to 20 and both of those tight ends are there, you get the pick of the litter for the best tight ends in the draft. Plug that into your offense, and even though that's a Tier 3 position as far as uh, you know importance of position, you guys know I've almost moved it up into Tier 2 because I look at the playoff teams this year, and tight end is so freaking important. All the playoff teams had great tight end play this year, okay? That's something you're looking for commonalities in success. Success is duplicatable. Now, you don't ever want to be chasing your tail one or two years behind on schematics and trying to, uh, you know, uh, trying to copy some of that success, right? So that's kind of how I see it. And then the last tier, again, edge defender Nolan Smith and defensive lineman Brian Breesey. Brian Breesey sticks out to me because the way I'm seeing this draft, guys, once we get past um, Jalen Carter, who I think is hands down the best prospect in this draft as it sits right now, once we get past him, the next defensive lineman is Brian Breesey in the number 24 spot. Then the next defensive lineman doesn't come along until number 35 and can't see out of pit. So this is a very thin defensive lineman draft. So glad we took uh, Devontae Wyatt last year, right? Not, And I'm not suggesting Devontae Wyatt's all world yet, right? But this this is starting to look to me like it's a very thin or maybe it might be just a bottom-heavy defensive line draft. When I say defensive line, keep in mind, guys, 34 defense that we run out of the Vic Fangio style. When I say defensive line, I'm talking about heavy 280-plus pound defensive linemen that play inside that play, you know, ideally from a three to a zero technique, three being lining up between, you know, over the uh, – between the guard and the tackle or lining up in a nose position, okay? If we were talking edge defenders, we'd be talking your outside linebackers, guys that you can throw into a NASCAR package and and get after the quarterback, that type of thing. So um, what I'm showing edge-wise is let's go ahead and talk about it. Actually, let's do this real quick. I didn't plan on this, but let's do it. Let's touch on it. When you talk about uh, top-tier positions – Quarterback, left tackle, and edge. Let's see how many are there before we pick at 15, okay? And this will determine should we trade up, is it a position of need? Nothing definitive, but let's just do this real quick. 
Let's start with Edge because the first one comes in at number two with Will Anderson. Then at number seven, you got Tyree Wilson out of Texas Tech. And then at number 12, you got Miles Murphy. Murphy. So before we pick at 15, a top tier position being Edge, there's three players that qualify on my board worthy of the pick to trade up. Okay. Let's go to quarterback. Probably should have started with quarterback. We'll, we'll kind of go backwards here, hop around. At quarterback, before we pick at 15, Bryce Young is the best quarterback in the draft, according to my early board. One tier down, you've got C.J. Stroud, and you've got uh, Will Levis. And then one tier down from that, you've got Anthony Richardson. Okay? So before we pick at 15, I have got one, two, three, four quarterbacks that are worthy of that draft pick. Starting to get nervous yet? <laughs> I'm telling you guys, when we pick at 15, if one of those four quarterbacks are available, I will not be surprised at all if the Green Bay Packers call in that that card and it's a quarterback on it. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Because the best time to draft a quarterback is when you don't need one. And this is assuming Aaron Rodgers is coming back. If they take a quarterback at the number 15 pick, what it tells everybody who's willing to listen and not have their nose in the air like they know more than the Packers or they understand evaluation more than the Packers. What it says is we have a higher draft grade and probably a significantly higher draft grade on this prospect than we do Jordan Love. If they don't take one and one or two of those guys are on the board at 15, it tells me they think really, really highly of Jordan Love, and that's exciting. So these are the things that you got to kind of read the tea leaves, read between the lines. Sometimes it's what a GM doesn't say that says the most. Sometimes it's what a GM doesn't do that tells the majority of the story, right, or the real story, I should say. So hopefully you guys enjoyed that. I didn't want to get into too much draft talk, but I wanted to hit on that and kind of lay out a few different scenarios. If you guys like that segment, shoot me an email, shoot me a text message, and uh, and let me know what you think and see if uh, you know we can do put other – put other uh, exercises together like that moving forward. Now, let's get to the last thing we wanted to cover here. I'm going to go ahead and close all this information out. I'll probably regret it here in a minute. I'll be wishing I still had it up, but let's do it anyway. Um, I'm going to share my audio here real quick. I want you guys to check this out. This was an interview from Sirius XM NFL Radio. Quote, I've been very spoiled the past four or five years to be in the Packers organization. Free agent Alan Lazard, wide receiver Alan Lazard, um, discuss getting set for free agency, conversations with Green Bay, and Aaron Rodgers' future. So let's see what Alan Lazard had to say on Sirius XM Radio. I've been very spoiled the past um, four or five years to be in the Packers organization. Um, you know, I think they're obviously a first-class organization, how they just go about um, their relationship with the fans, how they treat their players, um, just the whole experience there. Having Coach LaFleur and Nathaniel Hackett the past few years, and, you know, obviously having Aaron as a quarterback, you know, I'm almost like kind of bougie, I feel like, <laughs> into what I'm going to be wanting out of another organization because I have such high expectations. But that's only because I've, I've seen that and I've experienced that. And, you know, I think the record, minus last year, the past three years before that, it kind of shows you why they're able to have that success. So I'm looking through all the criteria of, you know, the workers, um, who's working upstairs, the relationship between the players that they have, um, you know, it's, it's this next place, I would like it to be somewhere I could see myself living for a, an extended period of time. So I would want to be heavily involved in the community and to be um, engaged with the organization as much as possible. So all things are being in consideration. Some places will have an advantage over others as far as whether the coaches or other players there or maybe it's the climate and the, and the weather and everything. So um, I'm just excited to 
to see what all my possibility options will be. You know, you talked about enjoying your experience in Green Bay, and they're the one team that can prevent you from actually hitting the open market. Have you had any conversations with them? Yeah, my, my agent, I believe, has started to talk to them a little bit um, in, in recent weeks or anything, but they haven't said anything as far as preventing me from going to the open market. You got any sense what Aaron's going to do next year? I have just as good of a guess as you guys <laughs> as far as what, as what Aaron wants to do and what he's thinking. I think that's just kind of like the main thing that I've really kind of seen with him the past few years. Obviously, it's been a, a topic every offseason, but he truly doesn't know. And so, like, there's no way that you can really force something, a decision like this, out of him um, before the time's ready, you know? And I think he does a great job of kind of communicating that with his people and, and everyone I think around him understands that. It's just, it'll be time and there's, there's no rush for it in a sense. I've been very. All right. So there was another part of that interview where he actually talked about, you know, how he's, you know, obviously he was talking about being spoiled, being in green Bay. He was also talking about Aaron Rodgers is the best to do it, the best to throw football and how much he really enjoyed playing with him and this and that. So that's definitely going to come into factor, but let's talk about Alan Lazar. First of all, what a great guy, what a stand up dude, right? Love watching him. When he blocked those three defenders this year and he counted them off one, two, three, got fined, then got the fine revoked, that was a win for the people right there because that's probably it's, – it's definitely a top five Green Bay Packers moment for me in 2022. Um, that was just awesome watching that play because I love guys that are gritty. I used to love watching Hans Ward play. Oh, he was one of my favorite players to watch play. Just a guy who was willing to lay people out, block him. Voted dirtiest player of the, of the year a couple of times because of the crackback blocks and all those things. But um, – Love Alan Lazard. Love that he showed respect and love to, to the city of Green Bay and the, and the Packers organization, Matt LaFleur, Brian Gutekunst, um, Aaron Rodgers, everybody. Now, here's what it comes down to. What he basically said in that interview, and this is my take. I'm not saying you have to 100% agree with it, okay? What I hear Alan Lazard saying is, I'm going to test the market. And we have opened up uh, dialogue with the Green Bay Packers. What does that say? I guarantee the Green Bay Packers told him, go get your best offer. Go get your best offer and bring it back. We'll see if we can match it, right? So what would be we be willing to re-sign Alan Lazard after he hits the open market, like we let Aaron Jones do, like we let other players do, right? What would be that number? First thing you got to ask yourself is, what is Alan Lazard to this organization? Is he a number one wide receiver? I thought he could be last year. I had to take the L on that. I was wrong. He is not a number one receiver, in my opinion, okay? And the second question is, is he a number two receiver? I think he could be what, what I would consider a solid number two. Not good, not great, but a solid number two receiver, all right? Could he be a number three receiver? Absolutely. A number three receiver, when you come out, he goes on the field when you're in 11 personnel, right? Three wide receivers on the field, 11 personnel being one running back, one tight end, equaling three three wide receivers on the field. I think he could be a top-tier number three receiver. I think he could be possibly the absolute best number three receiver in the entire NFL. So with that being said, he's not a number one. He would be a solid number two, which is, in my opinion, two stages down from the best. And you've got uh, you know, he would be the best number three. What is that worth? As a solid number two, I would be willing to pay him five to seven million dollars. If the Green Bay Packers think that's going to be our number two receiver, I would be willing to go as high as seven million dollars per to re-sign him. I personally am sitting in that three to five million dollar range. Okay. I think he would be a number three receiver, meaning Christian Watson 
and someone else splitting that number one row or going one A, one B, or you know, number one receiver, number two receiver, and then have Alan Lazard and Romeo Dobbs being that number three. That would be an ideal scenario for me. Okay. So if you bring him back at three to five million, that is totally doable. Totally doable. Right. Now the question is, what's his market value? I want to remove all bias. I want to remove my opinion and how I feel about Alan Lazard. I want to remove how I may or may not want him to be with the Green Bay Packers. Let's get an arbitrator in here. Let's get an outside source to come in and say, no, knucklehead, remove all your emotions, remove your, remove your fanhood, what's he worth? Spotrack says his market value, according to the market, is $12.5 million per year. So as we sit here today, I think it's extremely unlikely that Alan Lazard ends up back in Green Bay. I think if he goes to the market and his his market his calculated market value is twelve and a half million, I'm not thinking he's going to get that, but I could see him getting nine million, right? I could see him getting eight million, and to me, that's just a little bit out of the range of what I want to pay for Alan Lazard. The Green Bay Packers doesn't matter what I think. The Green Bay Packers may see it totally different, right? And if they do, we're going to find out real soon, right? And another thing to consider here is if you really like a player. You can stay under that annual average salary, right? Let's say that his best offer is $9 million per, and that's the start of negotiation. He comes back and says, you know, uh, whoever, Buffalo offered me $9 million per year, okay? Can you guys beat that? Then the Packers, if they don't want to approach that $9 million per year, then they may come back and go, okay, how many years are you talking here, Alan? Well, they offered me three years, $9 million per mil- per year. Okay, so it's three years, twenty-seven million, right? Nine million per year. What was the guaranteed money? They offered me ten million guaranteed. Got it. Okay, if they offered you ten million guaranteed, what if we came out and we said we would only give you, you know, let's say eighteen million total, okay, over three years, which is six million average, right? But we'll give you fifteen million guaranteed. So you just about fully guarantee the contract. I'm not suggesting they should do that, but that's how you can keep the salary cap hit down, get the player back. Now, he, in his camp, they're going to look at it and go, okay, what would it be worth? Would it, would it be worth more to me to have that more guaranteed money? Because you may play one year, and essentially what it equates to, if you sign that deal in in uh, in Buffalo, the, the fake deal we just proposed, for $10 million guaranteed, you've got one year for $10 million. That's essentially what that contract becomes, right? You guys heard me talking about the Devondre Campbell extension, the Rasul Douglas extension last year. Yes, it says this, but here's technically what it is. If you were to get out after one year, here's the guaranteed money involved, right? Or would you rather take $15 million guaranteed? Now it becomes a one-year $15 million guaranteed. You understand what I'm saying? Because the cap hit, the cap penalty is going to be spread out a little bit over those last two and three years, depending on how you structure the contract. The player doesn't care about when the money's coming. He wants to know, is it guaranteed? Okay, so that's an easy way of looking at that. So that's how the Packers could potentially sign him in free agency with less, quote unquote, annual salary, annual you know pay but give him more guaranteed money, knowing from his perspective, okay, here's what that those two deals come down to, right? Three years, $27 million, um, for $10 million guaranteed, right? Or three years, $15 million fully guaranteed, okay? Or whatever it was. You know, let's, let's, let's just stick with that for easy math. He's got to ask himself, okay, so there's a chance that Buffalo cuts me after one year. 
and I only make $10 million. In Green Bay, Green Bay, I'm guaranteed $15 million, which says they'll probably keep me on the roster. And look, look at what role I'm going to play in those two offenses. Look at the coaching staffs. Do I like the coaching staffs? What do you mention in the audio? It's going to depend on coaching staff. It's going to depend on other players, right? Now, Buffalo is one of those that Josh Allen's a great quarterback, right? Everybody loves to play for that head coach up there. And, uh, God, it's, it's, it's leaving me right now. McDermott, right? He's a player's coach. We've seen that and how he handled the whole, um, you know, Hamlin issue this year and all that. Um, so if it's a team that's, you know, say it's – God love them. Say it's Washington, right, that offered that contract that is less guaranteed but more overall. And then the Packers came back with more guaranteed but less overall. I'd say Alan Lazard probably signed with Green Bay, wouldn't he, right? So I'm not su suggesting that you should agree with me on those numbers I talked about, but the number I'm settling in on though is honestly that three to five million dollar range. Let's just go top side. I wouldn't go more than five million for Alan Lazard. I could understand going seven, but I'd like to see him keep it five million or less. And you may be able to do that with a three-year, fifteen million dollar fully guaranteed contract, as opposed to one that shows the overall numbers. Now, this is what we talked about and laughed and giggled about how contracts are reported differently in the NFL, right? You've seen how Aaron Rodgers' contract was reported, right? You guys remember? It's three years, $150 million, $50 million per year. But look at his cap hit, right? If he retires, that doesn't hold true, right? He's not going to get $150 million from this new deal if he retires after one year. People, so many people were surprised by that, and I wasn't. I still don't fully understand the contract. I don't think anybody does. And the optional aspect can be adjusted from what I understand now. People are changing their tone a little bit because they're scared to death. They're going to look like morons. They're going to look like idiots that were biased because he chose to speak out against the vax and all these other things and tick people off and went after the media, right? They're starting to get a little bit shaky going, hold up. Did we really understand this contract? Now, why did Ian Rappaport report it that way? Because the agency was his source. David Dunn was Ian Rappaport's source. That's why it became tongue-in-cheek, giggling back and forth between McAfee and Ian Rappaport, who are friends, who are what you would consider colleagues because he comes on his podcast pretty much daily during the football season, right? Because he knew Aaron Rodgers was going, hey, Pat, you need to report this. And David Dunn gave Ian Rappaport the inside scoop saying, report three years, $150 million. Why? Because that amplifies – the next value of the quarter, the the value of the next quarterback contract that's offered. That's what agencies do, and that's how numbers are reported. Other guys, you'll hear them say an average annual income of this month with twenty eight million guarantee, and they kind of throw it on the back burner. Why? Because they want the high number coming from the agency, who is the source. The, the teams aren't leaking this out, guys. The teams don't want any financial information leaked out, which they know it's going to be. But they're not the one offering this information to drive up costs in their own locker room. Right. It's the agencies doing this. So they pick which one looks better as we report it and put it out to the public. And we're going to give this insider the information, the scoop. Now, you report it as we ask you to. Overall contract or guaranteed money. That's how you go. For example, if. If Alan Lazard signed that contract with the Packers, three years, 15 million fully guaranteed. That's how it's going to be reported. It's not going to be reported three years, 15, 15 million, is it? It's going to be fully guaranteed contract, three-year deal between Alan Lazard and the Green Bay Packers. 
Now, if he accepted the Buffalo Bills one, guess what the agency once reported? Three years, $27 million, right? $9 million per year because that's the higher inflated number. What they're not going to mention, or they're going to mention $10 million guaranteed, but they're not going to lead with that because now that throws this red flag up for that sports agency and for the entire player slash wide receiver market that, man, he really only got a one-year $10 million deal and they could cut him loose, right? So that's how the game's played. That's why it's important to understand all angles. I don't fully understand it, but I'm trying to get a little bit better every day because I think that's where the, the truth lies right there, kind of in the middle. So with all that being said, we're going to wrap up with this, guys. Um, one of the things, if he comes back, um, you know, whether he comes back or not, one of the things that stood out to me when looking at market values, and I'm going to end real quick here, um, is Adrian Amos. The thing that stood out to me was Spotrack had his market value at $6.9 million. Okay. For all of the people that defend the front office, no matter what happens, they're a Goody fan. Hey, I respect you. I like Brian Gudikins too. But just like Greg Costell says on the football field, if you see it, you got to say it. When you look at the fact that we have a voided uh, deal this year worth $7.6 million, whatever it is, $7.3 million that's on the books for Adrian Amos, and he's not even on the roster yet, okay? And his calculated market value is – 6.5 or I'm sorry 6.9 million guys that's a bad move and it's not you got to understand there's two arguments here I'm not sitting here saying we shouldn't do voidable years or some people are going well you're the one who's okay with kicking the can down the road no 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 I'm I'm okay with it if it's a high quality player but they misevaluated Adrian Amos last year there's no two ways about it he underperformed and now he's going to be a cap hit this year on our roster, on our salary cap, for more than the market value even suggests he's worth being on a team. So if the market value is $6.9 million and he, he goes out and gets that offer from somebody and says, they offered me $7 million, the Packers can't look at this like, is he worth $7 million? They've got to look at it like, is he worth $14 million? And the answer, answer is absolutely not. Now, Adrian Amos may hit the market and get a crazy ton of money, but he also may hit the market and only get a $3 million offer. Now you're in the ballpark of going, okay, is it worth it? Is it worth it to pay him $4 million to come back? He's already, you know, $7 million on the book, so now he's $11 million technically, which is less than one of his best years. Yeah, we, we might be able to swing that. We're that thin at the safety position. There, that's the conversation that are going to take place. I'm going to give you one more player and we're out of here. Kenny Clark. Kenny Clark is on the books this year. I don't want to say the numbers wrong. Let me pull it up here. Kenny Clark is on the books this year against the cap for $23.9 million, guys. $23.9 million. Spotrack's market value has him at $17.1 million. So what's that mean? He is overpaid this year $6.5 million. In my opinion, based off how he's played, according to PFF, what I've watched on tape, and now what Spotrack is seeing is his actual mar market value, that was a bad extension signed by the Green Bay Packers, okay? So, I love Kenny Clark. He's a team captain for a reason. There's at times his pass rush last year looked absolutely amazing. I hope he rebounds this year and leads the Packers to the freaking promised land because he's one of those high-quality dudes. But, again, if you see it, you got to say it. And that's two deals that, in my opinion, it's not about not being able to – not being willing to go cash over cap. That was the mistake. I think we over-evaluated the player and thought they were a little bit better than – 
than we thought, right? So something to keep your eye on there. Let's hope Devontae Wright rises from the ashes and becomes our number one defensive tackle, puts on maybe five or ten pounds, and can assume that nose tackle role, right, and play a little bit more inside the three technique rather than being out there at the five in occasions there or or that four-eye look or whatever. Um, Let's hope he can rise to that occasion because if he can, it puts us in a lot better – uh, a lot better leverage standpoint next year when it comes to Kenny Clark and his contract expiring. Because, guys, in 2024, if I can get it to load here, again, the cap hit for Kenny Clark in 2023, $23.9 million. The cap penalty to get rid of him is $20.8. So there's only roughly $4 million to be gained there. That's not worth it. You want him to play this year. But next year, Kenny Clark's cap hit goes up to 24.7, and the cap penalty is only 13.1. So you cut him loose next year, you gain $11 million dollars in case okay i'm not i'm not saying they should do that I'm saying there's probably going to be a restructure of kenny clark's contract if there's not a restructure even if there is next year might be the last year that kenny clark's on the roster uh, he may not he may be a cap casualty next year it doesn't have anything to do with kicking the can down the road it doesn't have anything to do with our current cap situation we've talked about it at nauseum we're only $8 million over the cap right now. We're going to be able to get well under that. I think that they could, if they see a free agent they really like or a couple free agents mid-tier that they really like, they could free up enough to, to spend $20 million in salary cap this free agency. It's there to be had if there's someone they like or a group that they like a lot. Okay, Next year, they're only $14 million over on the cap. They'll be able to get well under that. I mean, if you come out next year and nothing else changes and you cut Kenny Clark loose next year, Okay, you're going to free up 13.1 million in cap. You're only 1 million over in cap. And you're going, I don't want to lose Kenny Clark. Right. If he's peak Kenny Clark, I'm completely with you. Okay. But if he keeps kind of underperforming, according to PFF and other sources and kind of what you see on tape, then no, man, you could plug and play someone else there, shave that money off the cap. And you're basically, you're working in the black immediately into the offseason next year. So. Just something to take into consideration there. Um, hopefully that made sense. Really appreciate everybody hanging out with us. Andy, thank you so much for the email. Sorry this was long and drawn out, but, man, it's exciting, guys. You get to this time of the year, you're talking draft, you're talking contract restructures, you're talking potential free agents, you're talking about people testing the market, and the draft's right back around the corner. You're finalizing your boards. There's going to be draft trades leading up to the draft. That's going to be rumors of people getting dra- uh, traded for picks uh aaron Rodgers' decisions coming soon man it's just it's an exciting time um i would say embrace it don't be like oh i wish you'd just make a decision man there's so much stuff to talk about with the packers right now and we can do it without being negative and that's the goal for this pod so thanks everybody for tagging along hope you have an awesome thursday afternoon as always let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world and go pack go on the fake Rodgers lets it fly has watson he's good That might be the biggest catch of this young receiver's career. Christian Watson, you can see him, it's just press man. They talk about his speed, his ability to get behind the defense. It's just a matter of can he catch it. That's a great job tracking the ball. He just took a big sigh of relief. Look at his buddies greeting him on the sideline, man. That's got to feel good.